Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. How's it going, night fans? This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. What's up, Elo? Doing well. It's uh, good to be here talking bowl season. It is happening, man. It's, I mean, you know, we've got the Army-Navy game is this Saturday, and then after that, it's bowl time, December 17th, and UCF is going to a bowl game, and they're going to be staying right at home in the Cure Bowl. We'll be touching upon that during the show. And we have a guest for this show, too. We have Alan Gooch. You may know him as a former player, former coach at UCF. Also, uh, at one time, was the head of the uh, Golden Knights Club. Uh, he is now the CEO of the Auto Nation Cure Bowl, presented by Florida Hospital, and also the executive director of the Orlando Sports Foundation. And he is the guy who puts this game together, along with a cast of several, uh, uh, of several people who are obviously extremely hardworking, trying to put together a bowl game. Um, that they've worked for so long. I actually caught up with Alan um, earlier tonight. It's uh, we're recording this on Wednesday night, December the seventh, and uh, uh, and uh, Alan Gooch is always very gracious, and um, we've got that conversation for you coming up. We'll also be talking about uh, UCF's new men's soccer head coach Scott Calabrese coming up from Florida International, and we'll be talking about uh, men's and women's basketball continuing their hot starts with some big wins over this past weekend. So a reminder, you can follow our podcast at UCF underscore Banneret. You can subscribe via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Don't forget to look us up on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret and also on the web at blackandgoldbanneret.com where you can sign up for uh, email newsletters where anything that new anything new that comes out goes right to your email inbox. Super easy sign up right there on the homepage. You can see all of our podcasts there via SoundCloud. It's great stuff. So uh, don't be afraid to reach out to me at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter and Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. And with that, let's get started. So, Eric, UCF's going to a bowl game at six and six, and they're going they're staying right here in town. UCF's first appearance in the Auto Nation Cure Bowl, which will be played uh, at Camping World Stadium uh, on Saturday, December 17th. 5.30 p.m. The game will be televised on CBS Sports Network. But uh, if you're a UCF fan, you're in town, you should be coming to the game. And uh, they will play the Arkansas State Red Wolves out of the Sunbelt Conference. Don't laugh. This team is very good. They won a share of the Sunbelt Conference this year, along with Appalachian State. 7-5 uh, and five was the Red Wolves record this year, but 7-1 and one uh, in the conference. And by the way, they won the share of the conference, Elo, by virtue of not playing Appalachian State uh, this season. That's how it kind of worked out that way. But uh, nonetheless, this is, uh, this is a program that has uh, made some noise over the past 
uh, over the past few years. Their head coach, or their head coach, is Blake Anderson in his third year. Uh, he's twenty three and fifteen uh, with the Red Wolves. Uh, and uh, and you might know uh, Arkansas State from this. You know, the last uh, Anderson's predecessors prior to 2014. Get a load of this murderer's row of coaches that have been through uh, Arkansas State. By the way, um, uh, interesting names here. Jones at a, who have gone through Jonesboro, Arkansas, which is the location of the school. Hugh Freeze in 2011, who gave way to Gus Malzahn in 2012 who gave way to Brian Harson, who's the head coach at Boise State, in 2013. Each of those three guys were one and done. And uh, Anderson came in, and uh, Arkansas State was sick and tired of the one and done thing, so they gave him, they gave him a five-year contract uh, with wow. a massive buyout in the first two years to try and keep him there. Uh, it, it $3 million buyout for the first two years, $2 million the third and fourth years, and $1 million in the final year. Uh, and Anderson's salary, by the way, is $700,000. So he's going to be sticking around for a little bit, but he's done a pretty good job. Um, Arkansas State has been to a bowl game each year since uh, 2011. Uh, even going back to – they've been to the GoDaddy Bowl four times in 11, 12, 13, and 14. New Orleans Bowl last year where they lost to Louisiana Tech, and this year they're playing uh, UCF in the uh, – in the Cure Bowl, their first trip to the Cure Bowl as well. So my point is, Eric Lopez, is that this may not necessarily be the cakewalk that everyone thinks it's going to be because uh, Arkansas State's a pretty good program, have been for a while, in the Sun Belt. Um, they're not afraid of playing teams like UCF. Uh, so this, uh, you know, you got a 7-5 and five team in Arkansas State against 6-6 six and six UCF. This will be a bit of a challenge for the Knights, don't you think? I do. Um, part of it. You know, for Arkansas State, they're going to be excited to be here in Orlando. They're going to be excited, I think, to play UCF. And I think they'll use the fact that pretty much I think everybody and outside national media and people that in the area is probably going to be picking UCF, right? And I think Arkansas State will really benefit from that. I think, you know, so much focus on this bowl game is going to be about how many UCF fans come to this game. But don't you feel – that Arkansas State fans will come out to Orlando, right? I mean, why not? If you're living, you know, if you're in Arkansas, I mean, you're living Jonesboro, Arkansas. Hey, get a trip, a weekend trip to Orlando out of this and play weekend a football trip to Orlando. Yeah. yeah, not only not only that, good hospitality, not that long of a trip. I mean, everyone knows how to drive to Disney World. Um, and if you're in Jonesboro, Arkansas, the other thing is too, and this is, um, I think this is the advantage of this game. You're getting this game out of the way a week before Christmas on the weekend. Right, so no you, distractions, no right. holiday distractions, so, right? I mean. So you drive you're driving down, you know, uh Friday night or fr- you know, Friday afternoon, Friday night from Arkansas, get into town, get in your hotel room, games at five thirty on Saturday, hang around, go go to Disney, and then uh you know, you maybe you go to Disney a day of the game or whatever. And then Sunday you pack up and you go home and you're back in time for the week and you don't have to burn any vacation time prior to Christmas. Well, and you know what's interesting about this game that I like? You know, Arkansas State played, just played this weekend. They played and beat Texas State. Yeah. UCF played the week before that. In other words, there's not a long layoff. You know, sometimes, and I think we have seen sometimes the best bowl games that turn out, you know, exciting bowl games as far as well played and excitement 
are the earlier games because they're still in routine. They're still in a routine as opposed to waiting 30 days or 35, you know, a month to, you know, basically get ready for a game where like if you're in the big 10 and then you're waiting until new year's day. Right. Right. Cause sometimes you, it's almost like you have a different team. It's almost like you're starting over. Um, so I actually, I think this will be a pretty crisp game, like a well-played game because I think both teams are still in season mode. They're not going to take a time off. Like you mentioned, they're not going to be, you know, holidays with families and stuff. And then all of a sudden you're starting over. And I, I think that's the, the interesting thing about it. And, uh, you know, from a UCF perspective, you get to come stay here. And I think to me, the focus and the excitement is the fact UCF's going to be playing at the stadium that was formerly known as the Citrus Bowl, mm-hmm. a place that they called home for a very long time. And they haven't played a game there, I believe, 10 years. I was at the last game they played there. It was against UAB. It was senior day in 2006. Yep. Uh, in November. And uh, it, so that will be USA at the time, too. Yeah, that was uh, the second year in Conference USA. Uh, I remember that game. That was a game that Kyle Israel played the majority of the game at quarterback. Stephen Moffitt had been lost his job at, during that year. I think he played a series or two that game as a senior. Um, and uh, But, you know, it, that was a lot of memories that I think uh, it'll be interesting for people like you and me and, and a lot of UCF fans that actually went to games over there. You know, there's a lot of young people that, you know, have never been to a UCF game in that stadium, believe it or not. So, and I've run into them. It's just kind of funny. I know. So it's like, so it's, it's unique. I've obviously been to that stadium a lot recently, as recent as the ACC championship game. So, but it'll be interesting to see UCF play there again, uh, even though they're obviously the stadium looks different now than it did obviously 10 years ago. But um I wonder, Jeff, what the feelings will be like on game day when UCF uh, you know, fans are like parking there and, if, and you know, I'm thinking, wow, I used to do this back in the day. Well, it will be UCF's first game at, uh, camp- at well, the Citrus Bowl, Camping World Stadium, uh, in that facility downtown uh, since, obviously, they did the major renovations to the lower bowl. Quick note on the, uh, on the spread, UCF is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I thought this was interesting, though, Eric. Uh, 60% of the early money was on Arkansas State. So that tells me that uh, some of the sharps out in Vegas, over-under, by the way, 49, uh, the sharps out in Vegas are really liking that Arkansas State plus a touchdown number right now. But um, uh, in terms of you know raw numbers in the matchups, um, you know, UCF and Arkansas State you – know, the Red Wolves haven't been exactly – they've sort of been a little bit middling in terms of uh, what they've been able to do so far this season. Uh, quarterback for them uh, is a young guy by the name of uh, Justice Hansen, who's been you know pretty good this year. Uh, but uh, Hansen's thrown for 2,500-plus uh, yards this year. Uh, they have uh, a leading rusher in Warren Wand, who's uh, rushed for 867, but they're not exactly – you know, lighting the world on fire here in terms of um, in terms of what their matchups have been, at least not in terms of what they what they uh, maybe used to do uh, back in the day. But um, nonetheless, I think this will be a little bit of a challenge uh, for a UCF. Do you, now, do you think that what I, I think what you were trying to say earlier, though, about the break is teams are going to be um, fresh, recovered from injuries, healthy 
but not rusty. I think that's right. sort of the balance that we're looking at. And and to be honest with you, I think UCF really needs this time to get to, to get healthy again. Don't you? Absolutely. I think Scott Frost said so. I was there after the USF game, and I think in particular in the defensive side of the ball, there's a lot of kids that were just worn out by the end of the year. I think he was talking about how certain players, you know, looked like hadn't had sleep in a long time. So, yeah, I think this time off was good for everybody. But at the same time, it's not a lengthy time off to the point where, you know, you almost have to re, you know, reestablish everything you were doing. So you get a couple weeks of practice and it's almost like an extension of the season. And uh, you want to finish on a positive note and build towards next year. And I think that's the exciting thing. You know, if you're the players, you want to send the seniors off on a good note with a win. Plus, from a coaching staff standpoint, you want those young players to get the extra reps for next year as well. So it's that's what really this bowl games are all about. Yeah, note on uh, Arkansas State, they're actually pretty hot coming into this game. They've won, uh, you know, they lost their first four games all out of conference. And then they won uh, seven of their last eight. Their only loss was a five-point loss at Louisiana Lafayette back on November the 26th, but they're coming off, like you said, that win against Texas State. By the way, of those, uh, of their, uh, they've won, of their last uh, five games, four of them have been on the road. They've only lost one of those games. So uh, this team has been, they, they've kind of been road warriors this year, the Red Wolves. Here is uh, Scott Frost discussing the upcoming game uh, against Arkansas State. Yeah, you know, bowl games are exciting no matter where they are and which game they are. Um, I think the Cure Bowl stands for, uh, something maybe a little more than most um, to, to be a, a, a bull that you know helps raise awareness and money for for breast cancer. Um, that's a that's as good a cause as you can find. So I think it's a good marriage uh, to give us a chance to play in front of the home fans, and and we're looking forward to an exciting game. Well, this team was coming off an 0-12 season, and and for them to rally and come together and uh, earn a chance to play in a bowl game is pretty special. Um, would love to see this team end this season on a good note we'd love to send our seniors out on a good note so we're going to prepare as hard as we can and um, the things this team has has accomplished have been great uh, but hopefully we can accomplish a little more yeah just like you said Eric I mean you're right I think this team needs a little bit of time to you know kind of get get healthy get fresh but um, but they are but they're not going to be rusty I think in time for this game so um, do you think this will be close, or do you think that well, actually, or, or do you think that this might be uh, a chance for Mackenzie Milton to really kind of um, get off the schneid a little bit here? Well, I think it's a chance for him to kind of yeah finish on a strong note, no question about it. I mean, I mean, there's no doubt about that. But you mentioned it, Arkansas State's playing their best football, and again, because they're only going to have a week off, they could still build on that momentum. That's playing so well down the stretch to win a piece of the Sun Belt Championship. Heck, I'm sure Arkansas State would probably wish they could play this weekend and <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, and ride the momentum. So, you know, I, I am fascinated to see, and I, I think this will be not an issue. I think UCF will be motivated to play this football game. I mean, you didn't play in a bowl game last year. You went winless last year in a bowl game. And I think – So I think I think there will be excitement. I think that the, the, the players, like McKenzie, has a chance to take a deep breath, regroup, but then at the same time, go get eager to uh, finish here on a strong note and uh, send a statement going into next year. So well, very interesting for him. I'll tell you that against this Arkansas State team. So, um, you know, they're not spectacular on defense, but they're pretty good. Uh, I was looking through the numbers at them. They're tied for 24th in the country in scoring defense, only averaging giving up about uh, 22 points a game. 
Um, although they're uh, offensively, they haven't been overly great. 102nd in the country in rushing offense, 79th in total offense, 391 a game. Uh, they're only scoring about 27 points a game. Uh, and on offense, they're, I think, they're, they're actually, yeah, they're tied for 99th in the country in first downs and 101st in red zone offense. So their offense has been struggling despite the big quarterback, Justice Hansen, who's only a sophomore, by the way, 6'4", 220 out of Edmond, Oklahoma. He's kind of struggled a little bit uh, this year, but I think he'll, he'll probably improve as time goes by. You hope that you don't catch him on a good night. Uh, because that could be a problem, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I think that it's more more importantly here. I think the key for UCF, you, I mean, you really got to, and I think for the UCF fans too, is we uh, you know they got to treat this like a home game, and come out in force. I mean, you know, the, the nearest bowl game that UCF has played to campus has been the St. Pete Bowl. We've been there three times, and that's still. I mean, you and I both know how much of a pain that can be to get to. Driving, yeah. driving out to St. Pete, playing drop can of field. Um, but this game, no excuses. I mean, a lot of us have already made this drive before many times to the Citrus Bowl. Yeah. So, uh, and you don't have the added excuse of it being a holiday weekend because it's not a holiday weekend. It's the weekend before Christmas. Right. So night fans have to get down there. So do you, uh, what kind of a crowd do you think we're going to get at this? I mean, are, are you, into, are you, what do you, what should we get from this game? I don't want to say should. I, I don't feel comfortable. I don't like telling people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, because everybody's different. Like for you know, there's a lot of different interesting fractions about this. Uh, you know, I, I will, for example, our, our friends, all right, Andrew Fagley and Trace Trelka. Which, by the way, can we just clear the record? They're friends of ours. We're not enemies. We're not. There's something people still yeah, like. You it was guys funny. on the message board who are say, who are trying to make uh, you know <laughs> stop. It's just like the civil conflict. Stop trying to make the rivalry between us and Nightline happen. <laughs> exactly. It's not. It's not a thing. Okay. No. We, I've been. A, we both have been guests on their show before. I haven't had them on our show yet, but I'm going to. There's no question about it. But stop. Stop it. Stop trying to make us fight. We're not fighting. No, we get along. They got. We listen to their podcast. They know they listen to ours, and so don't try to stir things up. So I listened to their most recent episode, and their intern, uh, which unfortunately I slipped in my mind his name, but he's a UCF student that's helping them out on their show. And he talked about he's never been to a UCF game in that stadium. And one of the interesting things is from the student standpoint is, you know, on campus, they don't have to drive to the game. They can just walk to the stadium and stuff like that. So it's going to be a, it's going to be tricky to get the students to go to the bowl game from the standpoint of, in some cases, they just may not want to drive all the way to the stadium or they might be out of town because they just finished with classes and they're going to spend time out of town with family and stuff. Uh, so those are some of the challenges that you come with the bowl game. What I'm interested, though, is those UCF people and, you you know, since you brought up the message board, right, there's people at UCFs that don't go to the games currently. Well, because it's far away over there on campus. Well, what's the excuse now? Right. You know. Uh, so to me now it's right in the middle of the whole market. Correct. So I'm fascinated from that standpoint of how many of those fans come out that maybe don't go to the campus, uh, that maybe just makes it more sense for downtown. Now I said that you might lose some students because of that, but I also think you're going to gain some UCF fans that I always feel like, and this is not just a UCF thing. I think it's for all sports teams, right? You have a percentage of your fan base that is diehard that will go to every game no matter what, right? No matter where the place is, they're going to go to every bowl game. They want all the f- fed information. So those people are locks. 
I think you have a, a second group of fans that are fans, but that maybe pick and choose what games they'll go to. The three maybe they get pack fans. Right. They maybe only go to a game here or there. Uh, but, my, you know, all of a sudden, hey, you know, I'll go to a bowl game. Why not? It's cool. You know, we'll go to the bowl game. And then you have the third group of fans that maybe don't go to sporting events, that but watch the games or listen to Mark Daniels and Gary Paris and Jerry O'Neill on the radio and watch the games on television. And so the, keep that in mind. I, I don't like to I, – I, I get tired of the, well, they only drew this amount of attendance, you know, and this or that. Now, that being said, what we have learned over the years is – all three combinations of the fan bases, usually the bowl game brings out more people than a normal game. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that, I would say so. I, I would say at know, least it has the potential to because it's a bowl game. It's uh, it's kind of the coup de gras. You don't have the excuse of, you know, there's classes. By the way, final exams uh, at UCF end Monday, December the 12th. So the game is the Saturday following that. Yeah. Well, and that's tricky because, as you know, some students would just want to leave, just get out of town and, you know, get, a, you know, get away from Orlando for a little while. Now, some people won't. Some people will stay. Some people might come up for the game. And so, the, you know, the students will be fascinating to me. Um, <clears throat> that could be if, if, if I expect a, quote, low turnout, it might be from the students that you normally would get on campus. But like I said, on the con on the convoy. You might get more fans that normally wouldn't even go to a UCF game, but they'll go to a bowl game because, hey, it's cool. It's the it thing. It's a bowl game. I mean, you and I have been to UCF bowl games, and we'll see people there that we haven't seen all year. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know you were. <laughs> when did you show up? <laughs> right. Um, so that's kind of the fascinating thing about this. Now, let's, you know, the Cure Bowl, I believe, sells only the lower section for now. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, I, I I think this game, the way I look at it, and I don't have the you know if UCF draws, you know what forty, at home. Uh, yeah, it's right around there. If if you subtract a few just because of students and stuff, I, I can see. I I think if you're, in, I think this game should be at least in the thirties. Now I can't. I don't know if extra seats will be sold or or what, but I. You know, I think in the if you can get into the 30s, I think that's more than fair because I always felt like if you round out the UCF attendance for home games at 40, I think 30 of those 40 are usually diehards or slash fans that go to multiple games like you said. And I think that kind of group will go to a bowl game. The question then is the people that you might miss out on are either A, the students that leave town, or B, the people that normally just don't even come to the games that often, maybe once in a blue moon anyway, and they're probably going to be watching or listening to the game. So I don't really – that's what I kind of think. I know it's a long answer, but I'll be honest. I'm just as fascinated as everybody to see what the turnout is. And, um, you know, uh, I, I know this. It will be it, – it'll be – I think it'll be in a, a very good environment. I think the atmosphere will be great because I think the people that are going to be there are going to be excited. Uh, the weather, well, they don't have the forecast for Saturday just yet. I'm checking on uh, weather underground, but you know, the day before should be quite nice. High 74, uh, low of 62, so it should be cool, clear, um, at least leading up to that. So we'll be waiting on the well, forecast. Well, that's a factor. That's a very... that, is, that is a key factor. I, was, I, was, um, uh, I remember I was at that Capital One Bowl game between LSU and Penn State. That was an absolute disaster. And that was the last, I think, grass surface game that we had at the Citrus Correct. Bowl. Remember that? 
Yep, I was there. <laughs> oh God, what a what a catastrophe that game was. But that's a great point because weather will help if it's good. Plus, remember, walk up crowds. Yep. Also will help. I mean, walk up crowds also a lot of times will fill uh, last minute because you know this game was you get closer. Some people that maybe are on the fence are going to get excited. And a lot of people will also go because they know it's the last UCF football game you're going to have, you know, until next year. So I expect a great crowd. I expect a great crowd. I expect a crowd that will be a little different than maybe normally you would get, as weird as it sounds, at Bright House because of the reasons I've explained. And uh, that's what I'm fascinated and unique to. And one of the things I'm looking forward to is seeing kind of what kind of crowd and who's there and who's been not been there that is there and stuff like that. It's going to be fun. You know who else is looking forward to seeing what the crowd is going to be like? Our guest for this show. Uh, I talked to him actually a couple hours before we actually started recording this show. He's he's, uh, he's a UCF guy through and through. Actually uh, played football at UCF. Uh, for uh, as a defensive back, a longtime coach, uh, has been involved in football really throughout his entire life. And now he's the CEO and executive director, uh, CEO of the Cure Bowl and the executive director of the Orlando Sports Foundation, Alan Gooch. You remember him as a longtime assistant. Well, I, at least I remember him as a assistant head coach under uh, Mike Kruzek and a uh, longtime uh, position coach at UCF. Um, actually was the interim head coach for a little bit back in 2003, just prior to George O'Leary coming on board. He's done work with the Golden Knights Club. He was even for a time uh, working with the Orlando Predators in their front office. And now he's been uh, in charge of this bowl game, getting it started. And uh, it's in its second year. And now he gets to uh, uh, welcome his alma mater to this bowl game that he's worked so hard to uh, to make happen. So here is our interview with the CEO of the Cure Bowl and the executive director of the Orlando Sports Foundation, Alan Gooch. So how are you, Alan? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, I'm excited about the AutoNation Cure Bowl and, and having the UCF Knights hometown, hometown team right here with us. Well, I bet you are. It's yeah. your alma mater. Yeah. yeah, yep. Happy about that. But, you know, we obviously represent two teams. It's, it's you know, I will, I will be happy to present the trophy to either team. Arkansas State, great group. Terry Mohair, who is the athletic director, great guy. I actually happened to be coaching at UCF when he was a defensive back. The only time UCF and Arkansas State have played. It was in Jonesboro, and Willie English had a 252-yard day that day and set a stadium record. I, it, it might still be a rushing record for UCF as well. But a great group of people, Arkansas State, and uh, they have a good football team. UCF is going to have its hands full with Arkansas State. Yeah, I was looking at the matchup this morning, actually. In 1991, I think, was the last and only meeting between these two, and you were there. Um, I guess we'll start with UCF's opponent, Arkansas State, like you mentioned. That program's come with very long way, haven't they? They have. Uh, you know, it's this is their sixth bowl game in a row. Right. Uh, and actually, Nate fed me the information. Um, Coach, they're going to be coming back here. And I go, what? <laughs> yeah, 1954, Arkansas State played in the Tangerine Bowl. Okay. That was the last time they were here, which is great. You know, they get an opportunity to come back. They are a tough football team. Uh, strong defense like UCF. Let's talk about your role with the Cure Bowl. You're the executive director. You've been so active in the Orlando sports community a long time, but let's 
fill in for the fans, you know, since you were at UCF last, what have you been doing? And then how did you come to this position with the Cure Bowl? Because I know that I remember when that with this bowl game was in the works for a long time, back uh, almost uh, a decade ago now at this point, And it finally came to fruition. And now you're in charge of it. You know, it's it's been a long road for us, but it, it actually worked out great. Um, there was an opportunity six years ago to do this bowl. We, and and it then, at that time, it was going to be a Sunbelt Conference USA game. And the recession hit. Right. FedEx pulled its title sponsorship out of the Orange Bowl. There was nobody looking to title sponsor anything at that time. So we called both conference offices and said, it just doesn't make business sense to go try to put a bowl game together. You just can't do it without title sponsor. Um, and that's that's that way for every everybody. So we tabled it. When we tabled it, the, the NCAA put a bowl moratorium on the Football Bowl Association, so no expansion during that time, which was okay for us. We, you know, great group, a great board that stuck together. Uh, we wrote, we raised our money for the Cure Bowl to keep ourselves alive, to keep ourselves alive and the dream alive through a bowling event at the Dowdy Bowling Center on I Drive, and. Uh, and then we, when when the bowl moratorium was lifted, we're, we were off and running. And uh, we went that way with the cure, uh, having the cause out front for the Cure Bowl. Uh, during all all of that period of time, uh, some of the early founding board members, you know, they had family members that were um, struggling with breast cancer, and so we decided at that time, let's, you know, make this thing about that, and um, and we did. What that's the main reason why I like always like the concept of this game from the very beginning when I first heard about it was that it, it was that it does benefit um, breast cancer I lost my grandmother to breast cancer and yeah and t- tell me about how the proceeds work with the bowl towards the towards the foundation great question uh, we are our, our, uh, charity partner is the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. 91 cents of every dollar they raise goes to research. And we just feel that if you're going to solve this thing, that's what you have to do. And that's great for the, the groups that do raise money for awareness. But if you're going to solve this, you've got to you got to do it from a research standpoint. And so that's been our focus. And we found a group that, that worked with our, our uh, philosophy there. And then we had the opportunity to uh, introduce Dr. Annette Khalid, who's a local researcher here at the UCF Medical Research School and uh, Breast Cancer Research Foundation took a look at her her work with our science officer on our board, Kay Staney, and uh, they were very impressed and they gave her the first round of funding and now Dr. Khalid has met all their benchmarks. So last year we raised $1.15 million in our inaugural game and we and Dr. Khalid has received $645,000 of that and she's continuing to meet benchmarks and, and she'll, she'll hopefully get all of it or, or solve cancer before it's all over. That's awesome and here's hoping that having a local team like UCF playing in the game will go towards that as well. So it, It's amazing, right? I mean, if you're if you're out there listening to my voice, if you're a UCF Knight fan or any any connection to UCF, every ticket you buy, you're going to be helping Dr. Khalid's research right there on campus at the UCF Medical Research Center. Let's talk a little football. How did you guys manage to? I know, I know that you said right after the announcement was made that you know it took some work, but you got UCF to come to the game. How did that whole process play out? How did it work out? Well, we you know we were trying, we were making sure that we were going to position ourselves uh, correctly. Um, 
a lot of that work was just lobbying, lobbying with Scott Frost and, and Danny White. They both had an interest in staying local this year if they could, uh, knowing that that uh, you would have an opportunity to have as many fans go to your bowl game as possible. It just makes sense. You don't want to go to your a bowl game every year at the hometown, but uh, this year it made a lot of sense. And and uh, so we, we actually were talking about that at the football media day meetings uh, in Newport, Rhode Island. And uh, Danny and I would see each other after each game and go five more, four more, (laughs) three more. And I remember when we looked at each other after the Cincy game, it just held up fist. And uh, so a lot of that work was with Danny and Scott as well, working on Mike Oresco, the conference commissioner. You know, it is their big asset. And and the the American Conference is a partner of ours, but they're also a competitor because they own and operate the Miami Beach Bowl. And the St. Pete Bowl would like to have had UCF come over again. I mean, UCF has been there three times, but they've traveled well every time and uh and and that's what bowls want to see is that is that good travel i'd love to have ucf here you know every two or three years and it's going to be a bowl experience when those guys leave on wednesday from campus and they check into the royal pacific hotel resort right there on universal property they're gonna and they're not going to go back to campus they're going to know they're at a bowl not bad yeah so let's talk a little bit more about you because I personally think that they should name the Mr. and Mrs. UCF Awards after you <laughs> and Linda. Because, you know, well, you know, you came here, you played, and then you coached, and Linda's still around. And, you know, and here you are still working hard in the community. And uh, and you're one of the guys who, you know, for me, being an older well, I say older fan, listen to me, I came here from 01 to 05, but I still see you as one of the guys that are associated with this campus so um you know when you see how big ucf football has gotten at this point compared to what you've experienced as a player and then as a coach is it like mind-boggling i mean how do you how do you how do you explain it actually not mind-boggling um dr colburn and charles milliken actually well, the ones that sold me on it, Char- uh, Dr. Milliken, uh, when he retired, you know, was always reached for the stars, and he he loved his he, he he loved UCF football. When after he retired, he would come out. We actually he loved to eat chili, and we would go eat chili at the steak and shake <laughs> on Fifty, and he would want to talk about football, and he he loved it that UCF got a football team. Now, Dr. Colbin obviously was the president when all that started, but I when I gra- when I finished playing. Uh, they hired a football coach named Lou Saban. Yep. No relation to Nick Saban, but Lou coached O.J. Simpson. and uh, There's plenty of NFL films material with him on That's it. right. And so uh, Lou came in, and when Dr. Colburn introduced him, uh, he said that our goal was to go 1A. And I, I, I believe that. I mean, you, you know, UC, you know, UCF is in a great location. And I started drinking the Kool-Aid then. I said, look, they're they're making a commitment with with Lou Saban. Uh, not long after Lou Saban was named, O.J. Simpson was down in our office, and we were having the O.J. Gate Crasher down at <laughs> Church Street Station in the Cheyenne Saloon, and you know, it just it rolled from there. So it it wasn't mind-boggling because you just you knew that it could happen. Um, I saw what had happened with Snellenberger in Miami when he drew the ring around Dade County and said, this is the state of Miami. And and we, we were able to do that here. I mean, I really believe that this was what was going to happen. 
So what's now the future for the Cure Bowl? What are your expectations for the bowl game, not just this year, but in the future? Well, we, you know, we've got Scott Rose, one of our board members that's a sponsor of, of, of the, of the uh the radio group with Mark and and we've been talking for a long time. You know, we signed a five-year agreement with the city. We signed a five-year agreement with both of our our conference partners. So our goal is to move up in the pecking order. You know, we were the 40th bowl in, and we couldn't jump over all the contracts that were already there, whether they were uh, primary or secondary. So in in some years, you know, we could be the eighth or ninth in the American Conference, depending on how things flow and how many teams are bowl eligible. So. Uh, that's going to be a little bit of a struggle, but if we'll do a great job of continuing to give these student athletes a great bowl experience for the next three years, this year and then three more, when those agreements are up, we're going to have some people that are going to want to bump us up. You know, I hear it all the time when I go to the different uh, media day meetings. Uh, all the athletic directors are like, oh, yeah, I feel like i got to throw some games to get you to a bowl, but I want to come to the Orlando to play in the Cure Bowl. And, and it does make sense. If you're a coach and you're a player and you're not playing the national championship game, come and get the game over with before Christmas and then go have a great time with your family. Well, here's to a great weekend coming up. Great weather, which I know you're also concerned about. But, you know, well, at least we always are. Because I was right before we started talking, we were talking about that uh, Capital One Bowl on New Year's Day where it was just a, it was a morass in there between Penn State and LSU. And I'm like, man. But we finally have the artificial turf, so that's good. But it should be a good night, and it should be a good football game between two football teams, including, you know, okay. Now, I'm, I'll, I know you got to be neutral, but... <laughs> Uh, oh, it, it's going to be a tough one. I think the Vegas math is six, right? Six UCF and a half, I, six. Saw yep. yeah, I saw this. So point. that's the Vegas math. But, um, you know, Arkansas State is a good football team. Yeah. And I know that, they're, they're, you know, Scott Frost is going to see that. UCF's offense is young, got a young quarterback. And Arkansas State's defense is the strength of their team. Uh, that, that makes it a tough matchup for UCF. The original Mr. UCF, Alan Gooch, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thanks, Alan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, and our thanks to uh, Alan for his time uh, earlier tonight. We're recording this on Wednesday, December the 7th. And also, hey, I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, Nate Blythe, who uh, uh, works for uh, UCF in the um, Sports Communications Department. Uh, in charge of a, uh, in charge of a number of different sports, and is also the uh, chief media guy for the um, for the Auto Nation Cure Bowl as well. So, um, and he's uh, he's been working the the, the I, I don't know how Nate does it. I'm convinced that he has uh, a twin somewhere that we just don't know about. <laughs> And, uh, and, and, but he's, he's done a fine job. I wanted to thank him for, uh, uh, for connecting us with Alan and enabling us to, um, do this interview tonight. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing all those guys on, uh, on the 17th. So real quick, before we go to break, Eric, I mean, I know you're excited to see the crowd. Are you excited for the game? Is this a good matchup? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, you're facing a hot team that's going to the one, the Sun Belt. It's going to be excited to be there. Uh, yeah, I think compared to what other options you are, I think this is a very attractive game. And I'm real quick, I'm happy for for Gooch. Worked hard. It's hard to start a bowl game. It's not as easy. They were working on this bowl game, trying to get this going for like 10 years almost. Right. And it's hard. You got competition. I think the great thing about this is this game is going to get a lot of attention locally, which I think for a great cause too, which I think is important. Yeah. And having UCF is huge. 
for that bowl game and for Allen. And it'll be a proud day from that standpoint. And, you know, this could be a game, I think, that helps take that bowl game and take off. You know, sometimes there's every bowl game, it seems, I always say at that one, when, when it starts, there's that one game, that marquee, such a you know moment that's like, okay, now we know what this bowl game's about. And uh, I think the local media coverage will be bigger for this game than obviously it was last year. And I think it will help the coverage of it for future years. And I think that's exciting. So I think it's a win-win for everybody. Don't you think? Yeah. And I'm happy. You were, I was happy that you were ended up being correct. I was very concerned that <laughs> UCF didn't, was not going to end up in Orlando. But I think it's a win-win. It's a win for UCF. Uh, it's a win for the kids. They get to play an extra game, a bowl game at home, good weather. But yet at the same time at a different stadium, it's a win for the fans because they don't have to travel. And if anything, you know, we, we, you know, we focus so much too on the Orlando fans, but what about the UCF fans from, you know, South Florida and fans from Tampa that now to me, they Jacksonville too. Yeah. Right. That can drive to this game because it's a Saturday. Whereas suppose the Miami Beach Bowl, if that's where UCF would have ended up, would have been a Monday game, which would have been harder for a lot of people. Yeah, so Monday at 2.30 p.m., yuck. No one would have gotten right. that game. So there's just a lot of positives of this. And, and the thing that I think is exciting, because, you know, with bowl games, you just don't know sometimes that, you know, and you've covered a lot of bowl. I covered a lot of bowl games. And we've seen it where there's sometimes in bowl games, you know, one team's interested, the other team's not interested in being there. Yep. That's not the case here. You got two teams that I think are being invested in this game. They're excited to be in this game. And there are two teams that want to win this game. And when you usually have that, you usually get yourself a very good game, an exciting game. So um, that's what you could hope for. And I think that uh, all parties will be pleased with that. Two hopes for this game. Number one, I hope that the atmosphere in the stadium, both before and during the game, is just an absolute party. I mean, I want it to be kind of raucous in there a little bit. And then the other thing is, um, I hope that the game is exciting enough where, you know, I think kind of like what you were saying, you know, every, there's always that early season bowl game that, like, all of a sudden, you know, it's late on, like, that Saturday, and then all of a sudden, you know, Twitter starts lighting up with, hey, you guys watching this crazy game that's going on? And uh, the game will be on CBS Sports Network. Um, it'll be uh, uh, Carter Blackburn, Aaron Taylor are doing the game. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden everyone's like, hey, you watching this game? I mean, can you believe what's going on? It's, you know, 63-59 or whatever the heck it is. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's what I hope is that it turns into that kind of a situation where everyone suddenly sits up and takes notice of, wow, this game's kind of wild and it's exciting and it's fun. It goes down to the wire. Although you know, maybe I'll be ripping our, we'll be ripping our hair out if it if it does. But, um, but I, I do hope it's an exciting product that they put out on the field because uh, you know the guys who put this bowl game together deserve it, and and the and and the players and coaches for both sides deserve it too. So again, Auto Nation Cure Bowl uh, Orlando presented by Florida Hospital uh, will be Saturday, December the seventeenth at five thirty p.m. Uh, in Camping World Stadium. Uh, in downtown Orlando, also televised on CBS Sports Network. So, all right, stick around. When we get back here on the Black and Gold Banner podcast, we'll talk a little men's soccer. We got a new head coach for the men's soccer team. We'll talk to you, uh, talk about him in a little bit, and we'll also catch up with men's and women's basketball as uh, they continue their hot starts to the 2016-2017 uh, season. Stick around. We're back after this. 
Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you. We've uh, uh, talked about football. Now we're going to switch over to the other football. Uh, men's soccer has their head coach uh, filling, uh, taking over for Brian Cunningham will be Scott Calabrese. He comes up, no relation to Rob Calabrese, by the way. He's the uh, former head coach of uh, FIU. Uh, spent the last three seasons there. Took him to the NCAA uh, tournament in uh, uh, in 2015. Also won Conference USA uh, back in 2015 as well. Um, back-to-back uh, Conference USA finalists. Two-time coach of the year. Comes in with an 85-67-20 and 20 record. Prior to that, uh, he was at East Tennessee State. Uh, as a head coach, uh, took them to the 2010 Atlantic Sun Championship. They had 10 shutout wins. Um, he was the South Region Coach of the Year. Um, and ETSU made the 2013 NCAA Tournament under his uh, tutelage uh, as well. Uh, he was an assistant previously at Clemson from 2003 to 2006, um, where, uh, where the Tigers uh, went to the College Cup, number one nationally in 2005. Um, directed their academy, also coached at North Carolina 2000-2001, um, uh, uh, including a national championship, and uh, actually coached as an assistant at Stetson way back, 1998-99. He's a Connecticut uh, native, and uh, interestingly enough, here's an interesting point about this, Eric Lopez. So, so he has a connection with Tiffany Roberts Hadak. This is according to the uh, release that UCF sent out. Um, he actually coached Tiffany professionally as a member of the Carolina Courage coaching staff in 2002. That was in the old WUSA. Um, He was an assistant coach. Uh, He helped guide the Courage. It says here uh, he helped guide the Courage as an assistant coach to the Founders Cup uh, that season. So a graduate of Bryant College and a native of Newton, Connecticut. So, um, So, yeah, Scott Calabrese takes over as UCF uh, men's soccer coach, um, pretty accomplished dude. You know, I mean, is this the kind of guy that Danny White was looking for? You think, Eric? Absolutely. I mean, you just hit it in the head. Everywhere he has gone, for the most part, right? Yeah. Okay. FIU NCAA tournament, East Tennessee State NCAA tournament, Clemson as an assistant NCAA tournament. You get the gist. There's a there's a pattern there. Yeah. And he's helped turn those programs, East Tennessee State and uh, FIU programs around. And so, yeah, I, I think that's clearly uh, invested. It was a pretty good process, quick process, maybe quicker than some of the other uh, hires. And look, you can get talent at UCF. I think that's been proven. And now it's just about putting it all together. And and the other aspect of it, Scott Calabrese is already he's used to re- being in this state. And that I think Florida, there's so Florida there's a guy, right? Yeah. So. There's a lot of things that check the box here, you know, 
and he's going to have more resources here than he, he's going. He had at FIU, and uh, easy, yeah, easy for I mean, us to forget. You know, you mentioned this. Florida doesn't have men's soccer. Florida correct. State does not have men's soccer. Miami does not have men's soccer. USF has men's soccer. We have men's soccer, and FIU has men's soccer. That's it. And FAU. But that's it. Like, I mean, you could you could easily make a case for UCF being the men's soccer power in the state of Florida. Well, it's them and USF. I mean, you you don't have to go far. I mean, that's your competition. I mean, that's you know, especially with, with the, all we talked about the I four and the in the, the cup and the trophy and I mean, in your own conference, that's you know the team. USF's had a very good men's program uh, recently, so that's the, you know that's the team in the state and. Uh, that's the goal for Calabrese. You bring him in to get his team into the NCAA tournament on a frequent basis and kind of try to match uh, the success that the women's side has had over the years. I think, right? I mean, that's yeah. that's the goal. I think that Danny Whiting's been consistent with this with every hire. It's about success. It's about being a top twenty-five program. It's about being good at everything. And there, that's that's. I think it's not an accident at all. And. Uh, I think he has a, a a plan. He has a philosophy on a specific coaches when he looks into it and to be successful. And uh, you know, I I think yeah, based on the you know check the boxes, I think this guy is more than qualified to be in, and it should be fascinating to see how uh, how he does at UCF and how quickly can he get UCF back to the NCAA tournament, which they have not been since 2011. Yeah. So a note on uh, Coach Calabrese, when he took over at ETSU in 2008, they had two six-win seasons. And then, starting in 2010, 15 wins, 10 wins, 10 wins, 10 wins. He goes to FIU, takes over team first year, goes 6-9-1. and one. Then, 12-7-1, 10-7-2. So, quick turnarounds. He gets his people in, like I said, five NCAA tournament appearances as an assistant coach, three NCAA tournament, tournament appearances as a head coach, three conference tournament titles, six years with 10-plus wins, um, and helped actually be – I didn't mention this earlier. Sorry about that, Coach. He actually began the ETSU program in 2008, and he's got a national championship ring from North Carolina in 2001 So, uh, and two College Cup appearances. So, um, And I'm interested to see what he does with the youth program because he was very good at that at Clemson. I, I remember when I was um, up in Tacoa. In Georgia, we were only about 35 miles away from Clemson. And uh, and there were kids running around northeastern Georgia, not far from the Clemson campus, um, that had, you know, you know that, that, you know, if they got into soccer, they went to the Clemson camp. And uh, and it was a massive camp, I remember. So um, and he started that back in uh, back in the late 90s. So uh, congrats to Coach Calabrese. Uh, hopefully we'll have him on the show here in the next uh a few weeks once he gets in and gets settled, and we'll talk a little soccer with him. So, all right, let's talk a little hoops. Um, the hot starts continue for both women's uh, and men's basketball. Let's talk about the men, Eric, because they're coming off a big win. Uh, went on the road. This is one of those games that we thought that they would, it, it would be tough to, go, to get. They go up to Amherst, and they play at UMass. UMass is pretty good. And Nick Banyard hits a, a bizarre three-point shot. Uh, with about a second to go, and the Knights beat UMass in at UMass to go to six and one, sixty-five, sixty-two is the final. Uh, Tank Effiani, uh led the team with twenty-four points in this game. BJ Taylor had nine; uh, it was only two of eight shooting, um, but 
Uh, wow, what a win for UCF getting the W over uh, UMass in a place that's, you know, with six tenths of a second to go off of an offensive rebound. Nick Banyard, uh, who's been one hell of a fine this year for UCF, uh, making a big shot. Um, this was, the, I'll be honest with you, I, I, this one I wasn't expecting at all. And they pulled it off. What'd you think? Amazing. Just amazing win. This team just, it's just winning games, man. Finding, finding ways to win. You mentioned Benyar. He's been a nice surprise. Contributions. Big win on the road. I mean, what more can you say? I mean, this was a team that was 12-18 and 18 last year, and here they are, 6-1. and one. They only lost to the defending national champions, Villanova. And you go into UMass. Not an easy place to play. A UMass team, by the way, that beat Temple. Yeah. Okay? A Temple team that's pretty good, who beat West Virginia recently and Florida State. Uh to win a, uh, the tournament up at Barclay. So uh, it's a heck of a win, man. I'm, I'm, I've enjoyed watching this team. I mean, they're exciting. They they're really fun. Have, been, uh, have been sound on both sides, of, on both sides, offense and defense. They just, they, they, they seem, it, it's a team, I, I was expecting there to be a lot of growing pains under a new head coach. They've looked like they've been, they've been playing this system, and Johnny Dawkins has been here for 10 years. That's what yeah. amazes me about this. They're by, They're bought in. They're bought in, yeah. and I think there's a discipline there. Uh, Johnny Dockett said before the season is about playing for the team, for the school, have some pride. There's a family, I think, kind of environment there, and they believe. There's a belief there, and they're gaining confidence by it, by it, each game they play. They're getting more and more confidence, and you know they got Maryland Eastern Shore coming up Saturday at home. Yep. Got it. You know, it's a big time. Don't have a letdown, right? That's going to be the challenge. Don't have a letdown. Then they got Penn right after that, two days later. A good Penn team. A good Penn team. Ivy League school. Uh, that'll be a disciplined basketball team, Penn. So that's a very interesting home game. Don't, you know, very good challenge. But this team has responded, and man, it's exciting. It's just, a, you know, it, it really blows my mind away. You're right. I would never have thought they would be playing this well. This quickly, yeah. Uh, um, Six and, and one overall just, record right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, they got a nice stretch here coming up. You got Miami of Ohio coming up, yep. also yep. at home. So you got a home stretch here, Jeff. That that again, build huge momentum before that conference opener on New Year's Eve against Temple. For the next five at home, the only one that's not that's going to be a toughie uh, up in D.C. against uh, George Washington yeah. on Thursday, December fifth. Good basketball so, team. Very good basketball team there. Yeah, so in the span of uh, five days, you got three games coming up. Eastern Shore, Penn, and then at GW. Well, and, then, and, and, uh, and then Miami of Ohio on Wednesday, December 18th. The one thing I'm concerned about that stretch, that might be where your lack of depth, you know, that'll be interesting yep. to how they handle that. Now, to their credit, when they played up at Charleston, they played three games in, uh, what, four days, mm-hmm. and, you know, didn't seem to affect them. And that was without A.J. Davis, by the way. Right. Uh, who's back, by the way. <laughs> so, but that'll be a challenge. Maryland Eastern Shore, then the quick turnaround against Penn, and then go up there against GW. That will be an interesting week to see how they kind of handle that. So it'll be interesting to see how this team handles that little kind of period there with Maryland Eastern Shore and – but then you got the quick turnaround with Penn, and then you got to go to GW. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But man, it's exciting, and how can you not be excited about where this program is 
with Johnny Dawkins, considering Jeff, these are not even his players yet, right? I know. He's gotten the, you know the transfers that have come in, yeah. But I, I mean, he I, I'm really been impressed with the players about how they have actually come in and um, and really bought into this. So speaking of speaking of players that have been buying in, how about the women's team, man? Speaking of clubs that just continue to win, they are now seven and two. They throttled Bethune Cookman. I did. I was at that game, by the way. Uh, beat them by twenty seven points. Jumped out, jumped out all over them in the first quarter. They were up twenty six to eight uh, after the first, and they just kind of held them at bay. I thought actually a little things got a little bit sloppy later on, but um, they've been uh, they've been playing some really impressive defense uh, so far to this point for Coach Abe. Um, leaders for this game: Nyla Schuler had thirteen points. Uh, she had some uh, sharp shooting early in the game too. Zai Lewis finished with fifteen, coming off the bench. Uh, Aaliyah Gregory got into the act. Fifi Endure had 11 points in this game. I've really been impressed with the with the way this team has been uh, has worked and has structured itself. Um, Gregory, uh, the, it, really, it's been Gregory, Lewis, Massey, Endure, and Schuler, and then coming off the bench, um, they've also had uh, or, or uh, they've actually had some really good uh, contributions from KK Wright, even though she's been a starter. For much of the game, um, and uh, also uh, they've had some good contributions as well from uh, Tolo Macore too. She started every game, and she's just rebounding out of her mind right now. But, um, but wow, I mean this uh, this team under Coach Abe now seven and two, um, and, and they've been they've been unselfish on offense almost to a fault sometimes. Uh, a couple times the way I've seen them play, um, they kind of. Uh, they're kind of a little bit worried about, you know, am I, their passes kind of have a, a little bit of a question mark at the end of them. Like, am I making the right pass doing this? And, uh, but the defense has been, uh, has been, has been really great uh, so far this season. Now, I'm taking a look at the uh, numbers from the, from the Bethune game. And um, like I said, they jumped out to that quick 26 to eight uh, lead. And, Overall, you know, forcing the turnovers against Bethune, uh, 23 turnovers for Bethune-Cookman um, in this game. Uh, and that's, that's a touch. And you, you're going to look at that box when you say, well, UCF had 27 turnovers of their own. It was really sloppy towards the end. I think, uh, I think they were trying to run some new stuff and trying to expand the playbook a little bit, and it just wasn't working on occasion. But uh, when they got serious about it, man, this team looked really good. And the other thing is, you know, Coach A was right. They don't shoot a lot of threes. Zai Lewis shot six threes of her own. She made two of them. But this team does not shoot a lot of threes. Um, but they did shoot uh, 50% for the game uh, and held Bethune to 32. So UCF now 7-2. and two, um, and, uh, and, and I think a rather impressive 7-2 uh, and two as they get ready for Gardner-Webb on Saturday, December the 10th at home. And they got Georgia's at Georgia Southern. Uh, a week later, December the 17th. That's the night of the bowl game. Uh, back home for two more non-conference games against teams that are traveling a long way. They've got Omaha on uh, Tuesday the 20th, followed by UC Davis coming all the way across country from California um, on December the 28th in preparation for Sunday's matchup with uh, UConn. On, uh, on New Year's Day, Sunday, January first, at CFE Arena. So, wow. Um, 
So yeah, better rack up the wins while you can before UConn comes to town. You got to te- and you got to test that out. But four four non conference games to go, three at home. They got a good chance to get to the ten win mark before New Year's Day. Well, and that would be huge success. And you look at the two losses. Obviously, Virginia Tech was an ACC team came down to the last possession. Heartbreaker. Even though, and the Buffalo game it looked like they were going to get you know it was going to get away from them. And they made a furious run there at the end and almost took that game against Buffalo. Yeah. So this team plays hard for a full game. And you brought up they don't shoot a lot of threes. I actually like that. I think one of the issues I've had at times seeing women's basketball, some teams just take, you know, jack up threes when it's really not their game. Um, and I think this team tries to take high quality shot selections. And I like the fact, Jeff, that they try to go inside. Take advantage. Go inside to Fifi. Go inside and, and try to get some points in the paint. Um, They've been I, that excellent is, in the paint. Jocelyn Massey, I think, has been the uns, has been a real unsung hero for this team too. Yeah. And the other thing is, the, too, the guards. You know, they they pressure the hoop. You know, they they don't they don't sit back and settle for you know the long jumpers. I, I've been impressed with the big guards who have uh, who who take the ball to the hoop, and the point guards have been doing great at creating, and and that and and that has done a that's done wonders for them. The few three point looks that they do take, they're open looks because of the dri- because of the drive and kick action. Yes. So uh, yeah, I think you're pleased. Uh, Coach Abe's intense. I think you're right. The offense is still kind of they're over. They're thinking of what they need to do between, instead of reacting. Yeah. Because I think they're still learning. Um, and you hope that when you get in the conference play, these players are kind of more comfortable in the offense. But you're right. Their defense has picked up kind of carried them to this point and uh, I think that's the thing that I'm pleased with is the the high quality of shot selection percentage play um you know and and the turnovers they've kept it when they've won they've kept it a pretty decent amount so uh you know very positive and again uh again Danny White there's two hires right there right yeah. Coach Abe <laughs> uh, and Johnny Dawkins yeah I mean that's what Danny White's forte was basketball and uh, so far so good so upcoming, well, we mentioned the upcoming schedule. By the way, note on that first quarter, they shot 73% from the floor against Bethune, including four or five from three-point range. So there's your good looks right there. So, yep. uh, so look at basketball, look at women's basketball. It's shaped up to be a really good start for both basketball squads. That's a heck of a end of way. What a way to, when you look at that end of the year, Saturday, December 31st, Temple, conference opener. Temple's a good team. We talked mm-hmm. about that earlier. And then UConn on New Year's Day. I wish the league would have uh, maybe scheduled that, maybe not on that day. It's a tricky date because UConn, right? That's the. I mean, that's the, that's the game. That's the game that's going to get the most fans probably oh, attended, yeah. right? It should. I mean, uh, one in the country. I mean, it's 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 UConn. It's 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 it's, it's the dream team. It's the it's the '96 Bulls. It's. I just wonder, you know, this will be their, I believe it's their third trip. They've played, believe it or not, on a New Year's Day. It's funny. I think this is the second time UConn's played at UCF on a New Year's Day. Because I'm pretty sure like a couple of years ago they played on New Year's Day when I was at a bowl game. Um, I know the most recent trip that UConn had was on a midweek. Uh, So do you you think they're better off playing that on New Year's Day on Sunday? Would they have been better off playing that on a midweek? Or later in the year, I mean, that's an interesting. Um, um, well, I, I, what do you have a opinion on that? Doing that to, is to stick with that sort of Saturday, 
you know, well, that game's a Sunday because then they go to the Saturday-Wednesday yeah. thing. Right. Um, you know. Now, I, now, I look, to little... be fair. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, now, keep, keep in mind, that Sunday, the NFL is actually playing. There's no uh, bowl games. It's an NFL Sunday. And a lot of times during the year, women's basketball during in January is scheduled on Sunday. There's a lot of games on TV and stuff on Sunday as, quote, unquote, counter-programming to the NFL. Yeah, this game's going to be, by the way, televised on SNY and on ESPN3. Yeah. So. Right. So, uh, you know, that's kind of an alternative programming. But I don't know. What do you think? I mean, do you like the fact that's on, New on a Sunday, New Year's Day? And I mean, if you want to expand that to the men's basketball opener being on New Year's Eve on a 4 o'clock, which I believe that will be on one of the ESPN family networks as well, television plays a role in that. Um. Do you think it hurts attendance? Do you think it enhances it? Does it not make it? It's kind of overblown. What's kind of what your reaction? I think it depends on how you promote it. I I think that you know the New Year's Eve game against Temple for the men's team I think is going to be a tougher draw at four o'clock than the UConn game on January the first because, um, like you said, you know it's going to be an NFL Sunday. You're going to be competing with that anyway. Um, the bowl games, you know, I mean, I think they moved the bowl games to New Year's Eve, right? That Saturday. So the playoffs, the playoffs are New Year's Eve, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I, it, when you're talking about women's basketball, you're talking about a very, a very dedicated audience. So they're going to tune in for that game. And the, and the, player, and, and the folks who are there for, for UCF, the fans that are going to be there, I mean, they're going to be there to see UConn. And, and to, you know, just based on the curiosity of it. I actually like having it sort of on that holiday day. I do agree that the fans that are going to go go see UConn are going to still go see UConn. They're not really – you know, you're right. The women's basketball fans are accustomed to this going up against the NFL. You're right. The, you know, the men people have... from around the state of Florida actually, I think, coming to see this game because UConn's coming to town sure. and sure. and they're going to be interested. And it's not just UConn alumni either. Anybody who's got you know any kind of a vested interest in women's basketball, they're going to want to see the Huskies. You're right. I agree with that. You're right. The men's has a tougher slate because you're right. That's going to be the same day as the college football playoff, and yeah. that day. The Buffalo Wild Wings Citrus Bowl will be played between LSU and Louisville in the same town. So there's actually a lot going on, not to mention the fact people that just make New Year's Eve plans and stuff. That's a tough one. Um, that's a very tough one. And you're right. The playoffs will be going on. Alabama will be playing Washington at 3 o'clock mm -hmm. uh, around that. Now, for that. So, but the good news is, you know, it's not a Florida team. In other words, like two year, a couple of years ago, Florida State, like if Florida State was playing in that playoff game or a Florida, you know, that would even maybe take away some of that casual fan that might go to a, the, the game. You know what I mean? Because, right. you know, you know, they might, well, my team's not in it, so I'll just go see this. So um, it's tough. Obviously, this year, the good news is, like I said, the 31st is a Saturday. So it'll be interesting with this year, New Year's Eve being on a Saturday and, uh, you know, we New Year's Day on a Sunday because, and I think you would agree with me. These are big games, especially the UConn game is a big game for the women's program. Forget on the court and result, as you know. And a lot of times, there are certain games that will bring out fans for the first time. Yeah, to your product, there'll be a lot of people that go to that UConn game that probably haven't been to a UCF women's basketball game. And I've seen this in other sports where, uh, when UCF, for example, plays a Florida or plays an Alabama, that you see people that come to to watch softball for the first time, and you hope that you give them a reason to come back, that they have a good time and they see the product and they want to come back. And I know with softball, we've, we've benefited from that. And I think that's why that UConn game is big. So I just wondered 
you know, from a New Year's Day that helps or hurts because those are big games. Forget the score and the what happens. Your goal is to attract people that are going to go there to want to come back. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole point. And if they can put up a really good fight against UConn, sure. I mean, it's going to be tough because, I mean, UConn, I mean, UConn's UConn. I mean, you know. I mean, what do you no, I mean, that's that? and that's the thing that I mean, that's the hard thing about it. I mean, nobody I mean, UConn just I mean, everybody struggles to keep it competitive against them. So I don't know if you can I don't know if that's a game that you can judge the team based on that because everybody struggles again. You know, what I mean, if, yeah. if that's what kind of happens. I mean, yes, obviously, if they keep it competitive, it's almost a positive. Right. I mean, they're excited at that point. So but. You know, people will want to see greatness and they want to see great teams. And then, But you want to take advantage. What you want is to show them that you've got a good product, too, that you should come back to see us as well. And uh, so that's a fascinating weekend for sure. Uh, I'm intrigued by that. What are you? Are you planning on? Because I know you've been going to women's basketball games. You've done the PA. I don't know. Are you? To, I'm, I believe I'm scheduled to do PA that day for that game. Wow. I have a front. I have the best seat in the house to watch the UConn. Is that like the biggest game of your career from a PA standpoint? I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've done not to put any pressure on matches, but yeah, thanks. But, but yeah, that's that's the biggest game uh, I think I've done yet. And uh, wow, UConn, January first. So um, I know I'm looking forward to it. I better not. I better not mess this up in front of Coach Oriema. Yeah, I was gonna say you got that name down. Okay, good. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, let let alone the folks at UCF who are actually who are actually in charge of my job there. So. But sure, yeah, sure. By the way, Nikisha Sales, Nikisha Sales, assistant at UCF. Nikisha Sales, that's really, right. Right, right. Former UConn player. So. Yeah, form, and one of the greats at UConn, too. One of the great yep. players that well, you ever had. And that's going to be a storyline, I'm sure. As we lead, as we get closer to that game, that I'm sure that'll be a storyline. And, uh, you know, that'll be talked about, I think, leading into that game and afterwards. Cool, cool. All right, so let's wrap things up. Oh, I wanted to pass along a little, uh, nice little note here. Uh, having to do with volleyball. How about Tanya Jarvis? That name sounds familiar to you. It should. Uh, she was a UCF volleyball player back when we were students, Eric, uh, 2001 to 2005. Tanya is now the head coach at Bishop Moore. They just won the um, state title again, back-to-back. They've won three out of four. And Tanya was just named the state high school volleyball coach of the year. And uh, a well-deserved award for Tanya. So I uh, wanted to give her a quick shout-out. Congratulations. We're hoping to have her on the show. Hey, I know this is going to be breaking news to Tanya, but, but we're going we're gonna to see if we can try and get her on the show at some point to talk about her UCF career and, and her coaching career. Did you broadcast career. her games? Did you broadcast her games yeah. back then? Oh, yeah. yeah. I did a what ton of games with Tanya, where Tanya Jarvis was playing back when uh, – because we were, we were in the same years. We were both freshmen in the fall of '01 when she was playing for Meg Collado. So, um, and then and then we we graduated, or we, you know, I graduated the same year that that she uh, had her last year was 0405. So, so yeah, I had I you know I I I've seen four years worth of Tiny Jarvis playing volleyball for UCF. So I'm Hall really of Fame for type, right? Hall of Fame type player. I think she should be. Um, she was a great, she was a fantastic player at UCF and, um, um, one of the, one of the most talented players that Meg Colado ever brought in, certainly one of the most talented players of the Atlantic Sun era when we were there. And, um, she's, and I'll tell you something, what a great, I I mean, to, to coach Bishop Moore, to coach any school, to three state titles in four years. She's won a few of them. She's won. Uh, she's won at least two of them, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 
on the UCF volleyball venue floor, the old floor yeah. where she used to play. Uh, um, yeah. And that's special. And um, really happy for it. Congrats, Tanya. Really, uh, re- really happy for it. What, what a great coach, man. So, um, so cheers to her. You know, uh, three, cha- three state championships at Bishop Moore. That's, that's nothing to sneeze at, man. That's hard. Unbelievable. Uh, you're right, and we definitely got to get her on. That'll be fun. That'll be a tremendous success there. Maybe the top coach in the state that's now been proven there, winning that award, and uh, yeah. you know, so that's that's tremendous. So happy for Tiny. Congratulations, Tiny. All right. So, uh, what are you looking forward to this week, Eric? Well, I, I'm looking forward to kind of relax. You know, it's kind of weird. It's uh, kind of a relaxation type of weekend, but you know, you got basketball double dip back on Saturday, so. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing if both teams can keep the momentum going and uh, just getting ready for that bowl game, really, right? I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, we're going to be prepping for the bowl game, which, again, is on uh, Saturday, uh, December the 17th. So uh, our next show will basically be our big preview, our big bowl preview show. But don't worry, we will have coverage from the bowl game, content from the bowl game. So just because we won't do the normal pocket, we're kind of working on having a kind of a special bowl game stuff that week that you'll enjoy. Yeah, we're kind of pulling a little, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're one way or the other. We're going to do we're going to have a post bowl game podcast. Um, it may be it may be that night. It may be a little bit after that. I don't know just yet, but we'll figure We'll figure out something there. We'll make sure that the plant you guys have all the plans after the um, after our next show uh, next week. And then it's, you know, it's Christmas time. Then it's, you know, the college bowl season continues. And then it's uh, New Year's. We'll be have we'll have our next show ready to go. Um, Wednesday, December, we'll probably record it Wednesday, December 28th, leading to the 29th. So, uh, so be on the lookout for that and follow us at UCF underscore banneret. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon, follow Elo, er, Elo at Eric Lopez Elo. So, uh, all right, man. So it's been good. Looking forward to this bowl game, Eric. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. It's going to be fun. Looking forward. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, just keep it here, and uh, we'll have all the latest and uh, a lot of good things coming up. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun time of year. All right, so special thanks to you once again, Eric. Always a pleasure, Jeffrey. And special thanks to Alan Gooch, the uh, CEO of the Cure Bowl and Executive Director of the Orlando Sports Foundation, for uh, coming on our show uh, today as well. You can follow the Auto Nation Cure Bowl at Cure Bowl on Twitter. Don't forget to follow us, of course, like I said, UCF underscore Banneret. Also on Twitter and on Facebook at Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, and follow this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Always good to talk to you, Eric. Have a good one, man. You too, buddy. All right. Thank you for listening once again. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.